the world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be putting the Oscars on the couch, and uh, we're going to be looking at the Academy Awards ceremony itself, which I found rather disturbing. We're going to be talking particularly about the movie Brokeback Mountain. Uh, controversial, surprising. Thought everyone thought it was going to win, and it didn't. Uh, one of the themes in that movie that really hasn't been talked about uh, very much has been, or at all, I haven't seen it really at all, um, is the aspect of cheating. People have talked about uh, it being a gay love story, not a gay love story, but what they haven't talked about is the fact that these men did have women in their lives um, while they were also having an affair with each other. So we're going to be talking a little later in the show with my guest, Ruth Houston. She's an infidelity expert, and she's the author of Is He Cheating on You? 829 Telltale Signs. But first, Oscar on the couch. I don't know about you. Actually, if you haven't, the Oscars this year were down. The ratings were down 10%. So it's uh, quite possible that I'm that I'm talking to a lot of people who haven't seen it, didn't watch the Oscars. But um, don't worry, <laughs> you'll you'll be able to uh, to hear about it, and you'll realize that it really you didn't miss much. Um, I look at, you know, I'm always looking at barometers of what's going on in the world from a psychological standpoint, how we're faring, uh, what dangers we're in, and how we can try to uh, guard ourselves against that. And I try to put various things uh, on the couch so that um, you're aware of this and can have some control of what's going on. And I think one of the things that you need to be aware of is uh, some of the things that I found disturbing about the Academy Awards. Um, there, and, if, and I would love if any of you are out there who did watch it and feel the same way or um, a different way than I'm about to describe, I'd love it if you would call in and uh, give your opinions. The number is 866-472-5788. 866-472-5788. I thought there was something really off about it. It first of all, you know, I, this may be part of this may be from my perspective as deeply involved in wrapping up my book on terrorism and therefore um, some things may seem more uh like folly compared to how serious uh things are uh, outside of the walls of the Academy Awards, but it really seemed particularly striking to me this year that um, while the world is on the brink of disaster in many different ways, last week I was talking to you about the port uh, disaster, uh, the idea of giving our 
ports over to our enemies, essentially. Um, and there are, you know, you just have to go on, look in the newspaper, look on the internet. You know, there there are more uh, problems going on around the world than, um, you know, than than you can than we could fit talking about in this hour, certainly. So it just seemed perhaps jarring, particularly jarring, that uh, everyone seemed oblivious to what was going on in the world outside of that auditorium. And I know to some degree the Academy Awards are supposed to be an escape from, um, you know, what just like the movies are supposed to be an escape to some degree as to what is going on in the real world. But at the same time, um, I guess what, what made that particularly jarring also is the fact that the uh, MC for the evening um, was not real. John Stewart was obviously on a leash. John Stewart is a very funny man. Um, he has his own show, and he talks about the news, and he's very um, critical of things that are going on. He pokes fun at the obvious absurdities uh, of things that are going on, particularly with the government. And putting him on a leash, uh, he made one political joke, something about uh, um, Cheney shooting one of the singers not appearing because Cheney would shoot her or something like that, some reference to the, to the uh, duck shooting incident. And um, that was pretty much it. And he no other political jokes. Uh, there were some canned ads. And it was obvious that he he was in you know he was he was restraining himself and he was very uncomfortable in that role, and um, a lot of people in the audience looked uncomfortable, looked like they weren't enjoying themselves. Steven Spielberg, every time the camera went on him, he was not looking like a happy man. Joaquin Phoenix, I mean, most of the most of the people in the audience were were just looking either bored, uncomfortable, um, not like they were having very much fun. The movies that were um, being awarded, for the, for the most part, the ones in the um, in the uh, certainly in the in the the nominees for best motion picture of the year, weren't really uh, well. I mean, actually, I shouldn't. I guess Munich was um, about terrorism, but that was about uh, the past. I mean, I guess that was that was probably the most relevant one in terms of what's going on today. Not that all the movies have to be about what's going on today as far as terrorism, but uh, there, seems, there, there seems to be a big difference in the way movies address serious subjects. And nothing pointed that out more clearly than when they did a montage of movies in the past. And the point was, uh, to show that movies in the past have really made statements about things, about racism, about, um, you know, just all different things confronting our society. And, um, yes, you know, Crash, which um, I must admit I didn't see, although I've heard a lot of, uh, you know, nobody that I've spoken to thought that it should win or, or even liked it, but... Um, there's just a difference in the way that uh, th- these topics are explored. And, um, you know, George Clooney came up when he made an acceptance speech for Best Supporting Actor. And um, and actually, Syriana, that's a movie related to terrorism, but um, he made a speech saying that it's okay if Hollywood is a little out of touch with what's going on in the world. We just reflect the world. 
Well, you know, that's that that sort of said it all and um it's not okay in my opinion that Hollywood is out of touch with the world and in fact that's what this evening showed in many different ways that it was out of touch with the world. Um and it because there is the impact of movies and television, but particularly movies when you watch them on a big screen um, and when they get so much uh, promotion, they are very influential. They go into our unconscious mind just like everything else does, television, uh, video games, music. And you know that I, I my pet peeve is um, the how the violence in all of these media are, have been affecting us, and the proof is uh, that our that our world is more violent now than ever. Unless you want to go back to the Middle Ages, um, and so when when a, a major Hollywood star gets up there and says it's okay if Hollywood is a little out of touch, that's very disturbing to me um, because it shouldn't be. Because in fact, you know, while they're disclaiming their impact on the rest of the world. Uh, they have a very strong impact on it. And to say that they don't really give them a license to do whatever they want, to put whatever they want on the screen. Um, another part that there, there was just seemed very empty, depressing. It seemed like it was a caricature of itself, that the Academy Awards were a caricature of, of itself. It was a, a sign that the world seemed to be going downhill. The gowns were beautiful. I'll give, <laughs> I'll say that. Uh, everything was very glossy. The stage setting was beautiful, uh, but there was no substance. It was like Barbie and Ken, and everything was surreal. And it's the same way about our movies that rely more about upon special effects than really getting out the real truth. Um, it's interesting, too, that there has been some questions since then about why is it that we don't get to see the count of the votes because people were so shocked that Crash won. Uh, there was a, a sense that maybe there was something corrupt about the results. And um, uh, there was a question about one of the things that was one of the funniest parts, actually, inadvertently, was, um, well, funny in terms of um, John Stewart, but the music that won um, was... The song from Hustle and Flow, which I will admit I didn't see, uh, but the music was that one was It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp. And uh, I don't know why there were only two other nominees in that category, uh, Crash, and the song was In the Deep, and I thought that that was pretty good, and Transamerica, Dolly Parton, sang Traveling Through, and that was pretty good. But It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp won. And that was, to me, sort of the low point of the whole, um, one of the low points of the whole Academy Awards because I'm very much against uh, against rap music to begin with because of how violent it is. And, yes, they fixed up the lyrics for the Academy Awards so that they wouldn't be bleeped out <laughs> every uh, seven seconds. But... Um, it, it just seems to me that if, if music like that wins on, on music award shows, you know, that's up to the people who, who are into music and judge those things. But, um, I, I mean, I'm not happy about that either. But uh, a rap song um, just did not seem to me to belong in the Academy Awards. It seemed like it was really a sign of just how far down we've sunk. And what Jon Stewart said <laughs> after they uh, played... Um, 
after they sang and played that song, he made the joke, obviously extemporaneously, and said, well, it just got a lot easier out here for a pimp. And then it was like he sort of did a double take and realized, well, wait a minute, maybe that's not politically correct, what I just said. And so then he went into a, um, I guess it was after after they won, he said something about, you know, what a great, how um, what, how this is how you should accept an Academy Award because they were enthusiastic about it, which is true. A lot of the other people who came up to, to accept awards were rather blasé, you know, as if... Um, I guess some of the people who had gotten them before or been nominated for a lot of them. But um, it was altogether just a very a very um, upsetting evening in the sense that it really did show just how out of touch Hollywood is and how um, unconcerned Hollywood seems to be with what else is going on in the world. That's the key. When we come back, we'll talk about Brokeback Mountain and we'll meet my guest, guest Ruth Houston who is an expert in infidelity so stay tuned you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and I'm your psychiatrist host Dr. Carol Lieberman you want the truth face the facts this is voiceamerica.com depend on it Once upon a time, there lived three energy hogs. Now, an energy hog is what you have when humans waste energy. One day, the three energy hogs set out to find themselves a cottage. Let's look for leaky windows, said the first energy hog, for he knew that would waste energy. Let's look for leaky doors, said the second. Let's look for a twig stand, said the third, for he had more blubber than brains. So they set off down the road. Presently, they came upon a tiny cottage where dwelled a clever girl named Dreadilocks. I hope it has leaky windows, cried the first energy hog. I hope it has leaky doors. Cried the second. I hope it has a bathroom. Cried the third, for only his brains were smaller than his bladder. But Dreadilocks liked playing cool games at energyhog.org. And from energyhog.org, she learned how to use energy wisely. So the three energy hogs were forced to look elsewhere to waste energy and had to use the disgusting restroom at the gas station down the road. And the moral of the story is, to use energy wisely, log on to energyhog.org or waste not, hog not. This public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkgaard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time. Invoke thought, feeling, and inspiration into your life right here on voiceamerica.com. Expand love and light in the universe. Tune into Miracles Happen, Dreams Do Come True with Iris Jackson every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Each week, Iris and her guests empower, encourage, affirm, acknowledge, and remind us of who we really are, providing tools and processes to fulfill our destiny passionately, victoriously, and joyously. Miracles Happen, Dreams Do Come True is under the guidance and direction of our beloved I Am Presence, the seven mighty Elohim, the ascended masters, and the legions of light, and is given Given with fervent and heartfelt wishes that all of your dreams come true and are a thousand times more wonderful than you ever dreamed possible. Continuing to be the authority in Internet Talk Radio, you're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. 
Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about the Oscars, putting the Oscars on the couch. Um, I do want to say, before we uh, talk about Brokeback Mountain, uh, I do want to <laughs> say two uh, highlights of the show, <laughs> now that I've sort of trashed it all. Um, I thought that the best moments of the show were when Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, accepted his Oscar for Best Actor for his role in Capote, a movie that I did see. It is a great movie. It's a very uh, complex movie. Um, it's about his, well, it's about his life, but it's not really a biography per se. It's specifically focusing on uh, how he wrote his connection to the story, how he began writing the story, began uh, being interested in the story that led him to write In Cold Blood and his relationship uh, to the two men who were the murderers in that, um, in real life that the book was about. And um, that it was a very complex, there were so many different colors and, and uh, um, of that role. He really played it very well. And the reason why that was a highlight, in my opinion, was because um, of how genuine, that was like the most genuine moment of the whole Oscars, because he thanked his mother and he said, um, he gave his mother's name and he said, you know, um, my mother raised four of us by herself and basically he was saying that he owed this Oscar to her because of how wonderful she was and how he, she took him to his first play and, and um, you know, what a hard time they had because she had to raise them by herself. And he said um, something like, we're at the party now, Mom, kind of like, you know, we're included, we made it, um, they let us in kind of thing. And that was very, very touching. Reese Witherspoon also gave a... Um, uh, not quite as touching, but <laughs> somewhat touching um, acceptance speech for her Best Actress uh, award that she got for Walk the Line. And she, too, talked about her family. And, and she talked about how um, what her grandmother used to say was something like, you know, that, that she just wanted to count for something. You should count for something. And that was what she was trying to do. I mean, you know, they should change the whole Academy Awards around and make it so that instead of their... Um, instead of rushing people off the stage, and this year it was like more brutal than, than I remember because sometimes when there were more than one person, when there was more than one person who got an award, if one person took up the time and the other person didn't get to say anything, they just played the music anyway, and the second person couldn't get a word in. It was really brutal, and that was, I guess that was really disturbing too. But now we're going to talk about Brokeback Mountain. That is a movie that, um, I, and I don't really, I saw of the, of the movies nominated for Best Motion Picture of the Year, I saw Brokeback Mountain, Capote, and Munich. And um, the other movie that was uh, nominated besides Crash was Good Night and Good Luck. Um, I don't really have strong feelings as to which one should have won because I was rather disappointed in Munich. I thought the subject matter was incredibly important, and I thought that Spielberg didn't, uh, this was no Schindler's List. Spielberg didn't really give it its due, and uh, it, it showed, and that was really disappointing. So I don't have a strong feeling about, you know, who should have won or, or 
But it is interesting because one of the things that um, people have been talking about in regard to why Brokeback Mountain, which seemed to be a sure winner, didn't win, was because um, of the way one of the theories, there are many theories, one theory that I think is interesting is that um, it was promoted as not a gay love story. And um, it has there ha- the point has been made that, in fact, it is a gay love story and that instead of trying to make it be a picture for everybody by saying it's a human love story, um, it should have owned the fact that a lot of what it was dealing with was, I mean, the, primarily what it was dealing with was homophobia. Instead of trying to, you know, sell more tickets by um, whitewashing the fact that, that it really was a gay love story. And we'll talk more about that aspect of it because I've, I found that really interesting, um, you know, the whole, the whole question of whether these the two characters were... Um, Gay or not, and um, and or whether they were just kind of uh, alone there in the in the uh, Wyoming woods and um, were drawn to each other. So we will talk about that. But I want to um, set the scene and then get to my guest. Uh, this story takes place in 1963. It starts in 1963 during the summer in Wyoming at a place uh, called Brokeback Mountain, of all things. And um, it's a story of a Wyoming ranch hand who meets a rodeo cowboy from Texas um, who who both get jobs working um, on Brokeback Mountain. They, their job is to uh, go up to the mountain and herd the sheep and make sure that um, uh, that the sheep don't get stolen or injured or, you know, that there are the same number of sheep come back as go up. And um, it it's means rather brutal work out in the wilderness um, where it's cold and, and one of the, at least one man is told, one man has to sleep with the sheep every night or at least that's the plan until one night <laughs> when they wind up together in the tent and, so, and thus the plot begins. <laughs> And welcome to the show, Ruth Houston, so that you can begin as we talk about <laughs> cheating. Um, when these two men met in the tent at first, they weren't sort of technically, I mean, I guess it all depends um, whether you want to call them cheating. One of the men, uh, Ennis, has a fiancé, and he has plans to, to marry that fiancé when he finishes his summer work on Brokeback Mountain. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, he was cheating on his fiancé. Uh, Jack Twist, the other man, did not have any one person at the time when he had his tryst <laughs> with um, Ennis up on Brokeback Mountain. So let's, um, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank Ruth. you. And Ruth has written a book called, Is He Cheating on You? 829 Telltale Signs. <laughs> I didn't know there could be that many. <laughs> but, um, you actually read... The um, the short story uh, that broke back that the movie broke back Mountain was based upon exactly, and uh, I understand that the movie, although I didn't see it yet, was very close 
to what the actual story was. There was very, there were very little uh, differences in it. One of the things that disturbed me about all the controversy that was going on around Brokeback Mountain was that so little attention was given to the fact that it really dealt the uh, the underlying theme was uh, infidelity, same sex infidelity. So uh, some somehow people tend not to, they, they kind of isolate that, as, uh, look at it as being somewhat different, but infidelity is still infidelity, even if the other woman is another man. Mm-hmm. It's still infidelity. And both of the two main characters, Jack and, and Ennis, were gay or bisexual, however you prefer to, to refer to them, gay or bisexual married men with families, who are cheating on their wives. Yes, yes, to, to clarify that, after they um, have their original summer romance, um, they then, Ennis does get married, exactly. and Jack eventually gets married too, so, and mm-hmm. they continue their relationship, so uh, so they do, they, they are actually cheating on their wives through, over years. And they do have families. Now, a lot of people aren't, aren't aware that this, is a situation that has a modern-day parallel. That's a a reality for many women. There are hundreds of thousands of women whose husbands or boyfriends are secretly having sex with other men. They're involved in same-sex infidelity. The situation is common enough to have have, um, fostered a national organization that has 11, that has 74 branches in the United States and 11 international branches. You're talking about a situation, same-sex infidelity, which is not uncommon. It, it, um, there are also several books on the topic, over two dozen websites, discussion lists, support groups, all for people who find themselves in that situation. There, uh, the organization, uh, which was founded, uh, I don't have the exact date that it was founded, uh, by Amity Pierce Buxton, called the Straight Spouse Network. The, uh, Buxton, Ms. Buxton estimates that there are 2 million gay or bisexual people married to a straight partner. Now, when we give this figure, we're also talking about women who are bisexual or gay, who are married or in committed relationships with men. So we're talking about uh, both genders, gay or bisexual people who are married to a straight partner that's a lot of people yes that is amazing you know so it's surprising that more people didn't zero in on that aspect of brokeback mountain well you know there infidelity as you know it it seems like there's a sort of a, a more of a secret shame about same sex infidelity than than different sex infidelity. Exactly. I mean, it's really sad that this is what our society has come to, that, that infidelity, when it involves, you know, uh, people of the opposite sex, is so commonplace now that nobody even, you know, raises an eyebrow about it. So certainly I thought that the fact that the same-sex infidelity was a, a, a theme in Brokeback Mountain, I certainly thought that that would get people talking about this aspect of the situation. I mean, you're talking about married men, you're talking about gay men, and with families. Um, yes, and you know, it's interesting, when a woman um, 
has a boyfriend or a husband who cheats on her uh, a lot, although there is some, you know, there is certainly some shame that, that most women feel about that, even though it's the man really doing it to them, not that they, there's anything that they should feel ashamed about, but they feel that there's something lacking in them. But, and they, and they talk about it to their friends, or at least, but, but, um, when it's same sex infidelity, it seems like, just like, um, keeping homosexuality in the closet, I mean, people feeling as though they, and it's still the truth that it is, uh, as, as liberal in regard to that that we've become, there is still, there's still some, well, there's a lot of shame fear surrounding it. Yes, you know, uh, and and I think for women too, it therefore makes them also, um, you know, instead of saying, "Do you believe what he did to me?" There's less of that because no, they, they, they they're afraid to discuss it. It's embarrassing, so exactly. they are in sort of a closet themselves, exactly, because exactly. they can't discuss it with family yes. and friends. Well, when we come back, we'll talk about some of these signs that not only. Uh, the actors in Brokeback Mountain displayed uh, tips that their wives uh, could have, should have, maybe in some cases did pick up on. But um, we'll also talk about other tips that you should be looking for to see whether your mate is cheating with a same sex or a person of the opposite sex. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guest today is Ruth Houston. And uh, I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Connecting your world. The Internet's number one talk and information station. VoiceAmerica.com Hello, this is Rory Garay, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dog. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. This week on Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo, Lake Bell from Surface joins us to tell us about the show, and TD-0013, our resident stormtrooper, joins us in studio to help us talk about the sci-fi that's happened this week. That's this week on Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo. The world leader in Internet talk, radio. Internet talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, 
here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We, today we're putting Oscar on the couch, and we're talking about um, Brokeback Mountain and the theme of infidelity that seems to have um, <laughs> been buried um, as people talk about the, the controversial issue of whether or not it was a gay love story. So my guest, um, Ruth Houston, the author of Is He Cheating on You? 829 Telltale Signs, is with us. And we're going to, um, what did you think when you read the short story uh, about some, that some of the signs were that uh, their wives should have or did see? Well, in many cases, um, there are a lot of subtle signs. But um, one of the, uh, the, the first things was when um, Jack and Ennis finally got together after their hiatus, and um, in the in the hallway, there they uh, <laughs> Ennis's wife uh, looked out and saw them embracing in the hallway. Now, uh, many times, um, what happens is that if a wife is and I know <laughs> it's hard to say whether we should use the word fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to see some indication that her husband is sexually involved with another man, it's so shocking that she, it's, it's almost like she goes into denial. She doesn't know whether or not to believe her eyes. She, you know, this is not something that she expects. It comes totally out of the blue. Many times um, there aren't any other, any overt signs, maybe subtle things, and when she sees something to confirm what she may or may not have suspected all along, she's totally taken aback by this situation, yes. not really knowing what to make of it. And many times it's a while before she can bring herself to even confront her husband about what she's seen. It may come many years later, uh, quite some time later, as it did with um, with uh, Ennis and his wife in um, Broke Mac Mountain. Yes, um, you know when when what's interesting is that when they after um, Ennis and uh, Jack met on Broke Mac Mountain, they then went back to their lives, and they were separated um, mm-hmm. for several years. Right. I think they mentioned it was three or four years. Mm-hmm. And um, then Jack sent him a postcard, and he came to visit Ennis. And, you know, it, it always struck me, though, that when Ennis came down from the mountain originally uh, to marry his, his fiancée, she should have theoretically noticed that he was different from before he went up the mountain and had that sexual relationship with uh, another man. And yet, you know, of course she didn't wasn't looking for that and, and um, didn't maybe she would have attributed it to uh, wedding pre wedding jitters or something, but he certainly would have had to have been different. He wouldn't have been as um, he there there's a distance at the very least, at the very basic level, there is a distance that that creeps in when someone is having an affair, whether it is with a or has had an affair, whether it's mm-hmm. with someone from the same sex or someone from the opposite sex. And similarly, when Jack um, said that he was going to be coming to visit, you saw in the movie uh, that Ennis began to drink more. Mm-hmm. And um, especially that day while he was waiting for Jack to come and he was nervous as to whether he was going to come or wasn't going to come, he sort of half... You know, he mostly wanted him to come, but there was also 
uh, fear of, of what this would mean to his life. And um, uh, so, you know, and she didn't seem to notice, before she saw them kissing, she didn't seem to notice that he, he <laughs> you know, had rows of, of beer bottles lined up. Mm-hmm. Many times drug or alcohol are factors in this um, situation um, because not all same-sex situations um, are the same. Um, you know, there are different degrees, so to speak, of same-sex uh, involvement. Yeah. Uh, it could be a thing where a person is experimenting and it's a one-time thing or it may be an episode in one phase of their life, that person's life, that um, he doesn't expect to ever happen again, right. which was uh, probably the case here. And it's not until afterward that they realize how profound this experience is for them. Um, you know, with some men who are sexually involved, bisexual or gay men, um, who are married, um, it may be just an occasional thing or it may be something that they pursue on a regular basis where they actually seek out partners on a regular basis, or they may only engage in this activity if someone approaches them. Uh, so there are many aspects of this type of behavior, but by and large, most of the signs are subtle signs. So if a person, if a woman isn't aware that certain things could be a possible indication of same-sex involvement, then certainly um, there's nothing that she can really put her finger on. Many times people say, I, I felt um, that something was different, but I didn't know what it was. What's happening is that their subconscious mind, the signs are there. Um, what's really happening is that their subconscious mind, they're picking up on a subconscious level some of those subtle signs right. that are just below the radar of our detection. Now, one of the signs that wasn't so subtle was something that Ennis's wife did. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Um, a little and test that she... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, attaching a little note to his, his fishing gear. Um, yes, and because when, when Jack would come to visit... Uh, they would, Ennis would tell his wife that they were, would go fishing. And, uh, they'd be gone for, you know, I don't know, it was hard to tell in the movie, several days to a week. And, uh, here he, he other than that, he was pretty, um, responsible in regard to his job and wouldn't just take off. But when Jack would come, and that's another sign, you know, exactly. he would impulsively, uh, ditch his job and go to Brokeback Mountain with Jack. And so she decided to, and he never brought back fish. Right. <laughs> they weren't very, they should have at least, you know, stopped in a store and brought back fish or done some fishing on Broke Pack Mountain. So go ahead. But uh, that reminds me of um, um, an email I got from uh, one woman whose husband was involved in, um, well, actually it wasn't same-sex infidelity, it was infidelity. And um, he used the guise of a hunting trip. Uh, well, we're, we're hanging out, you know, uh, a few of the guys are going hunting. And, <laughs> and the funny thing was she said that, um, that, you know, they had these annual hunting trips, um, a group of guys, but the guys, the, the situation here was that the guys were meeting up with their mistresses. Uh-huh. But um, one, this one particular time um, when they got ready to, to um, return home from the hunting trip, um, 
it, the, the guy got the biggest surprise of his life when he, and this was a, just a weekend hunting trip, he for, they forgot to take the hunting dogs. Didn't even realize that they didn't have the dogs with them. <laughs> so, you know, little things like that. You know, you'll find these sort of male bond, the things that they use as cover, these sort of male bonding types of things, which um, they, they're, they're sure they can get away with because they're things that um, many women just don't care to be involved in. So they'll just say, okay, go, go hunting with the guys, go camping, rafting, uh, whatever, mm. um, and they're not looking. But um, in this situation um, with Brokeback Mountain, um, that was the giveaway that, you know, he never returned with any fish. The, the fishing uh, gear was untouched. Um, I, in fact, I had another uh, woman who had that experience. Her husband went away for a fishing trip, and the neighbor wanted to borrow some gardening shares or something, so um, she went out to the gardening shed, a uh, little tool house, to get the, uh, the, the, whatever the, the, the pruning shears or whatever the neighbor wanted, and lo and behold, in the corner, she saw her husband's fishing gear, the tackle box, the rods, <laughs> in the corner, yet, he'd, and she'd never had any reason up to that point to suspect him. Mm. So um, these, you know, these situations are very real. Uh, unless you're suspicious and you're looking, you're not likely to see anything. And and in this case, um, you know, uh, you you don't always put one and one together and come up with two. You may not even want to take the next step right. to add one, one plus one plus one plus one. You know, you're not putting all these things together to form a picture. Right. It was a little less clear in the movie um, about Jack's cheating. Um, his wife, obviously their marriage, well, first of all, Ennis's marriage, you know, they, they wound up getting divorced. Mm-hmm. And then Jack and his wife, um, Jack makes a comment about their sex life having gone down the tubes, uh, that, and he kind of seemed to blame it on his wife. And the only thing that the movie showed uh, in regard to her suspecting that something might be that he might be having some kind of a romantic relationship with Ennis was her saying at one point, um, why is it that you keep going up there? He was going from Texas to Wyoming. Why do you keep visiting your friend in Wyoming? Why don't you ever, why doesn't your friend ever come down here? Why don't you ever bring your friend to visit? And, um, and you, you know, you saw her mind going that, that she was suspecting something, but, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he just gave her some, you know, excuse really, I don't remember what it was. It wasn't very satisfactory. <laughs> but I, I, in the story, was there, in the short story, was there anything more specific? No, there was nothing about that, although there was a reference to the fact in the story, there was a reference to the fact that Jack was involved with uh, the wife of another yes. Uh, rancher. Yes. Um, um, and then a reference to his um, uh, supposed affairs uh, in Mexico. Yes, yes, Jack actually didn't just, I mean, although the love of his life, when you were sort of led to believe, was Ennis, he he didn't confine his cheating to Ennis. He actually um, cheated with men and women, mm-hmm. um, so he, he was an equal opportunity cheat, <laughs> cheater. <laughs> so we get these different levels or different degrees yes. here that I was yes. referring to earlier. Right. Well, we need to take a break. We, we are uh, talking to my guest, Ruth Houston. She's an infidelity expert. We're talking about Brokeback Mountain on Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. So stay tuned.
Information you need, when you need it. VoiceAmerica.com West Coast Business Review and host Amy Campbell presents Show Me the Business. Each week you'll hear exciting guests give you vital information on advancing your business and career. Learn how others have built their empires, from best-selling authors to renowned entertainers. Listen every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific Time on VoiceAmericaRadio.com. Visit our website at www.westcoastbusinessreview.com. West Coast Business Review's Show Me the Business, connecting you to the business world. World-renowned cosmetic surgeon and scientist, Dr. Andrew G. Berman, hosts Beauty in America, broadcasting every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. What is beauty? How is it viewed in a cross-cultural context? And what is the role of plastic surgery in society, careers, and life? Expert guests join Dr. Berman to discuss historic and current concepts of beauty and plastic surgery, as well as trends, advances, and gimmicks. Beauty in America with Dr. Andrew G. Berman finds out what is real and what is hype right here on the Voice America channel, Fridays at 2 p.m. The results indicate your child has neuroblastoma. There's evidence of metastasis. We need to perform a urinary After you hear your child has cancer, chances are you don't hear anything else. CureSearch.org connects you to the most comprehensive research and advice on childhood cancer and to other families who know exactly what you're going through. CureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by CureSearch and the Ad Council. Continuing to be the authority in Internet Talk Radio, you're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're putting Oscars on the couch, especially Brokeback Mountain, and especially the question that has not been discussed anyplace else (laughs) that we know of, um, the infidelity that was uh, committed against the wives by by Jack and Ennis, the stars of Brokeback Mountain. Um, just let me give my little analysis here before we go back to the uh, 829 telltale signs <laughs> that Ruth Houston can tell us about. Um, I just want to, my, my impression of these two characters, uh, because this whole issue of, of how gay they were, um, Ennis, it, you know, it wasn't, just, it wasn't what was being put out there, in my opinion, that these were two lonely cowboys who found love with each other in the desolation of the mountain. I mean, that was a part of it. But And, and I do think that had Ennis not gone up the mountain with Jack, <laughs> Jack and Jill, and <laughs> um, had he not gone up the mountain, he most likely would not have um, had a homosexual relationship um, because it showed the, the fact that he, when he was around nine years old, um, he, his father took him, uh, Ennis and his brother, to see the body. It was really rather graphically portrayed in the movie, but it made a point, uh, to see the body of a man who had been castrated and left in a ditch because of the fact that these two men had um, set up ranch together and uh, that the 
some neighbors or didn't really say who, but some people in the in the environment were not happy about that. Um, obviously, a very homophobic environment. And Ennis's father took him and his brother to see the remains, this dead man, this castrated dead man, um, really kind of to make a point that don't let this happen to you. And obviously that was incredibly traumatic to a nine-year-old uh, boy. And, um, and it, particularly when Jack then suggested that the two of them set up ranch together, obviously this was something that had been ingrained in him as being incredibly dangerous. And I, I don't think that, um, and obviously Ennis' father was very homophobic to have made that point, to have shown his son such a brutal sight and to give them that message, you know, that I don't want, to, I don't want this to happen to you. I don't want you two to, to think about doing anything like this, getting into a homosexual relationship. So I really think that, ja- that Ennis was not homosexual, that in fact it was um it was the fact with both of them. It was the fact that they both had fathers who um, were were not in their lives. They were both abandoned in a sense by their fathers. Ennis's father, soon after that, died in a car accident, so he didn't really have a chance to have a father. Um, and the father that he did have, up to around age nine, was incredibly distant and homophobic, and and you know not very um, not very um, fatherly, I mean, not very nurturing to him. And Jack's father, uh, who we meet in the end, um, was incredibly cold and critical, and I'm sure um, he was homophobic too, but uh, it, it didn't even get to that point. He was just he was just ice. And so both of them, neither of them, had a man in their life, and they were longing for that. And they sort of, tur- they were both very lonely altogether. Jack was doing the rodeo circuit, and and they were both just incredibly lonely, alienated men who um, did have a love for each other. There's no doubt about that. And it became a sexual love um, while they were up there isolated on the mountain. But Jack actually was um, I, I, borderline. I believe that he, his diagnosis would be a borderline personality disorder. And he was pansexual. He was bisexual. He was... Um, you know, he had affairs during the movie with various people. Um, he went when he couldn't see Ennis one time. He went down to Mexico and had a uh, had sex with a, prostu- a male prostitute there. He had sex with both a man and a woman uh, who were neighbors and became friends with he and his wife in in Texas. I mean, there he was just a very sexual man. But I think his probably the person that he loved the most was Ennis. Um, but there was a big difference in in the two of them, and that certainly has not been that distinction has certainly not been made um, in that in any discussion that I've uh, heard of. And I think that that's important because there was there were these um, differences in each of them and some similarities in that they were both finding this male figure who they uh, bonded with and who they loved, having been deprived of that. As children, any comments on that, Ruth? Yes, absolutely. Um, with regard to what you were saying, with regard to uh, Innes, that's a, a, a typical case of what I call opportunistic sex, which is how many um, affairs or sexual liaisons start. The opportunity presents itself. the The persons involved, the person involved, feels that 
he can do this um, without getting caught, and so he takes advantage of the opportunity. In Ennis's case, not realizing what effect this would have on his life. This was a major turning point for him, this yes. opportunity that presented itself to him on Brokeback Mountain. Yes, because he was very conflicted about it, and actually Jack was the one, and I'm assuming it was the same in the story, mm-hmm. that Jack was the one who initiated the, the sex. Exactly, exactly. And, and Ennis was very conflicted about it, especially having grown up under those circumstances, but he also saw in Jack someone who got him and cared about him. It was like the first time in his life that he felt that way. Mm-hmm. And, of course, both of them were reluctant to put a label on themselves saying, you know, well, I'm not queer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. um, so uh, they they weren't looking at it from that. They, they, in a sense, were in a state of denial about what their their sexual liaisons with each other actually meant or what they actually stood for or represented. Um, and that's the case in, in uh, many modern-day situations where you have, um, a bisexual partner and a straight partner together uh, in a marriage or a committed relationship, um, they're not acknowledging the fact that um, that they're gay or, or bisexual. So they're, they're staying in the closet with it. The marriage and the family um, uh, serve as a sort of cover for them, and they're not really reluctant. They're, they're, they're not really um, willing. They're very reluctant to give up the marriage, you know, you would, you would think, well, if this is how they are, why don't they just go with it and leave it, and, and you know, not involve women in the deal, right. <laughs> because certainly today, views are, are much more um, accepting of this sort of thing than in the time period in which yes. Brokeback Mountain was set, but the reality is that they are not acknowledging that about themselves. There's still a form of denial there. And the wife and the children form the perfect cover. Um, actually, according to the Family Pride Coalition, 20% of all gay men in America are in heterosexual marriages. At least half of all gay men in America have fathered children. And uh, they estimate that there's um, approximately 3.5 million children born to mixed orientation couples, couples where one partner is gay or bisexual and the other partner is straight. So this is, it's not an uncommon situation. Yes, and and, uh, and it, it is interesting to think that, that this movie took place um, in 1963, or the, the story, mm-hmm. um, and, and yet, you know, we've changed and yet we haven't changed. Exactly. <laughs> You know, this, the, these things still go on. Um, I, I wouldn't want to be the one to say whether on a larger scale or a smaller scale, uh, but I, I truly thought that this would be the thing to open up discussions mm-hmm. about same-sex infidelity, the way the whole Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, Jen- Jennifer Aniston situation opened up discussions about emotional infidelity. I truly thought that this would be it, and I'm, it really surprised me that so few people paid any attention to this aspect of of the film. Yes. Well, well, that's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> and why don't you tell people how they can um, how they can you know give people your website and how they can uh, get your book? Because obviously we didn't get a chance to talk about all 829 <laughs> Telltale Signs. Well, um, um, the website is 
infidelityadvice.com. And if they go there, they will also see um, an article about Brokeback Mountain and the plight of the wives. And um, I, they can, if they read down to the bottom of that, they will find that there's a tip sheet that I have um, called the Same Sex 16. It's a two-part tip sheet on how to determine if your wife, uh, excuse me, if your husband or boyfriend is involved in same-sex infidelity. Most victims of same-sex infidelity, just like any other type of infidelity, the wife is the last to know. It's no different. And so um, the, as, as a public service to women who really want to know if they're in what I call a broke-back situation, okay. this two-part tip sheet, which is free, is available to, to um, those who want to find out. So the website is infidelityadvice.com. The book, Is He Cheating on You?, is available through the website or through the 800 number, 1-800-431-1579, and it's also available on Amazon.com. Okay, and I thank you very much for joining us, and I, I would recommend that you all uh, go to that website, infidelityadvice.com, um, to check out those signs and uh, see whether your... Um, <laughs> if you if you have even though you know something some things might be in front of your nose and some things are a lot more subtle so exactly most um, of the signs are quite subtle so thank you very much Ruth Houston again the book is called Is He Cheating on You 829 Telltale Signs thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch and thank you all for joining us I'm your psychiatrist host Dr. Carol Lieberman Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.